Welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590, the fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday, 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Alex Wong, filling in this week for William Liu, who is vacationing. And since it's Tuesday, I'm joined in studio by Sportsnet's Blake Murphy. What's going on, Blake? Oh, hey. Blake Murphy. I, uh, I didn't adjust to being in the Will Lucha. I'm a little shiny, it looks like. It's uh, it's my first time hearing the Blake Murphy uh, Tuesday drop live. It's a little arresting, it's a, eh? I think it's my first Tuesday. I sports that, man. Yeah, it's how, a big, how are Tuesdays like here? Tuesday's a big, uh, it's a big Derek day because he has one of those for one of my Tuesday regulars on Jay's Talk Plus, too. It's uh, yeah. Chris Black, the sports producer, comes on on right. Tuesdays. Yeah, and he's got a, he put together a, an Explain It Black to the oh, okay. tune of Paint It Black. That's really good. So you can tune in at 3 o'clock or maybe like 3.05 today. Tune in. If you want to hear more of Derek's great drops. Jay's Talk Plus, 3 to 5. A drop, a stinger? I don't know what you call it. Yeah, I'll that. go with a drop. Shouts to producer Derek Randale. But yeah, 3 to 5 p.m., check out the Jay's Talk Plus show. And Blake Murphy is going to be hosting the Raptor show. Next, Next week. week, we're just handing this off like a baton yeah. right now. Three days. Okay. It's only three days. It's whatever. It's Some, uh, uh, draft content. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, Wednesday, the Jays play a two o'clock game. So we won't have a, a Raptor show next week. And then Friday, Will's back. So oh, he'll, get, he'll, okay. get to do the, he'll get to do the draft breakdown. But setting it up, the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I already got a couple guests lined up. Nice. Ready to roll. Yeah, well, can't think of a more perfect guy to provide draft coverage. Yeah, then I mean, Blake Murphy. It's the number 33 pick. Yeah, if you're, if you're asking, if you're asking for a prediction as to who the pick's going to be, uh, no one can help you. It's okay. uh, an especially wide open and flat draft. But we'll talk to a couple of people more about, you know, draft philosophy and what are you looking for at the top of the second round and what does the Raptors draft record to date tell you about what right. they might do here? Um, and then, yeah, I mean, hey. Sam Facini, hey, Wes Blair Brown, wh- whoever, uh, what names do you think fit what we're talking about with the, with the Raptors' approach to the draft? So uh, Leonard Miller was one of those names, but he's going to G League Ignite now. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, people love to eat up the draft content, though, I got to say. They sure do. It's a great uh, it's a great content driver. I'm very much missing doing all the draft profiles that I usually do. Like, usually I would be like 40 or 50 draft blurbs deep on a guy on guys and uh yeah nothing i just got my spreadsheet and my couple notes in the spreadsheet and stuff i don't i don't have to write anything for the draft this year yeah no idea who scotty barnes was last year when he was drafted Um, scotty barnes i was aware of (laughs) (laughs) i got a second half of the show gonna play some interview clips from my sit down with jeremy lynn over the weekend we're gonna have clement chu from the ccya to promote the ccya classic that's coming to university of toronto on july 9th but first Blake and I are going to recap Game 5. Actually, before we recap Game 5 of the finals, we have some Raptors news. We do. Woj breaking before we came on. The Raptors 905 head coach, Patrick Matumbo, is joining the Phoenix Suns staff okay. as an assistant coach. This is not a huge surprise. It tends to be, it seems, two years as a head coach at the G League level, if you're having success, is enough to move up the bench somewhere. Uh, the Raptors saw Jama Malalela go to the Warriors, who are... You know, Jama could be headed for a, another ring here. We'll see. Um, you know, Jerry Sackhouse went the Vanderbilt route uh, to get that that big, big Vanderbilt payday, uh, the big college basketball program payday. Um, but yeah, it's not not a huge surprise. 
you always would prefer to have, you know, that guy get promoted within your own organization. But there are only so many coaching slots. There are only so many promotions to be had. There are only so many, especially if Patrick Mutombo is going to have a front of bench role, one of, one of Monty Williams' top three assistants, um, which is probably, you know, what they had to dangle to, to get him. Um, but it's great for Coach Mutombo. It's great for his development. Um, he's a guy who, you know, sometimes G League coaches can have success and they can have success in the definition of that role. And you don't learn a lot about what they might be as a future NBA coach. Um, you know, Jesse Mermis, Jama Malalela, excellent, excellent G League coaches and making excellent assistance right now around the NBA, but you don't know. Um, Patrick Matumbo is, I think, of the names who have come through, the one I am most confident saying will be an NBA head coach. Hmm. Um, not that the others didn't have just as much success or weren't just as impressive, um, but given Matumbo's age, his rapid development, uh, just how much he did the last two years in some pretty difficult circumstances for the, for the G League as a whole. Uh, really, really impressed with what he did there. And, you know, in terms of, like, energy and personality, great fit with Monty Williams in Phoenix. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get a Patrick to figure out why they lost by 50 in that Game 7. Maybe. we got to solve that. we got to solve that. No, but this uh, this just goes to the Raptors continuing to be one of the model franchises in the NBA, you know, establishing... Yeah a coaching pipeline, but, you know, I think the model franchise from this past decade has got to be the Golden State Warriors. But when they're stealing from your pipeline okay. with Jama, I don't know. Well, and Gary, why, why didn't we keep Gary Payton the second? What was the story? Do you actually that? want to do this? Because I it, I get really <laughs> frustrated with it and fired up. So give me, give me the 60-second version. Okay, so Payton wins Defensive Player of the Year. He's playing four different positions with for the, the 905. With the Raptors 905. Yep. With the 905. Yep. And he's not going to be a long-term 905-er because he, he was on like a one-year loan because not every team played in the bubble. Um, and it's a small sample in the bubble or whatever, but he did all the things you'd want to see if you're saying, hey, this guy doesn't have a traditional offensive profile what do you want to see from him while he's hitting the offensive glass while he's showing he can perform out of the dunker spot he's showing progress as a cutter the only thing he really didn't do was shoot and he's done that a little bit more with golden state but you know he didn't really they just didn't put him there they didn't they didn't play around that uh weakness so i still don't really know what was missing like they freddie gillespie was a worthwhile call-up and it was worth funneling some opportunity to a paul watson type um, but there is some misalignment there, I think, of, well, were you trying to develop only long-term guys? And if so, why did you draft Gary Payton in the first place? It's not like he's 35 years old. He could have helped this team. So this is one that I I can usually give you an answer for why a guy didn't get called up. Yeah. This one perplexes me. And it really, it probably just comes down to age or, you know, redundancy, but Everything he showed with the 905 was that he was an NBA player. Yeah, so they missed on that one. They did. They missed on that one. And now Gary Payne the second, and the Warriors, one game away from winning the NBA title after 104-94 win last night in game five. Uh, game of runs, man. Game of runs. Like, legit. Celtics, what do they do? They missed their first 12 threes and then went on a barrage in the third. And I think they made their next eight, jumped out to a lead after the Warriors led by, I think, 12 at halftime. The Warriors missed 14 straight threes at one point. Jordan Poole hits that buzzer beater three <laughs> at the end of the third. Really swings the momentum, in my opinion. You know, Warriors go up by one going into that fourth, and then they just run away. 
on a night when Steph went 0 for 9 from 3. First time in his playoff career he's gone without a 3, which is wild. That gravity was strong, though. It was. And, you know, he still had eight dimes. He still had 16 points. He played a great game, in my opinion. Yeah. And look, it's not... Boston's gotten, in my estimation, a little too much credit for for their defense in this series. Thank you. Um, Overall, in general. Yeah. During the regular season, they were really good defense. But Giannis was down Chris Middleton. Jimmy Butler had skeletons around him. And now Steph Curry has had not a lot of competent secondary scoring night to night. And, you know, you watch back the nine threes that Steph missed. Five of those are threes probably that you're like, how do you give that up to Steph Curry? Um, you know, there's, there's a drop coverage here or a drop coverage there or missed assignment here. It's, I didn't think that they were the reason he was 0 for 9 from three. And then, you know, the other side of that is he shot over 50% inside the arc. He, he was getting into his mid-range stuff and getting to the rim. Um, not to say Boston isn't a good defensive team. I just think the... It's been a little overstated in this series, maybe. Uh, and that was a good a good example of it. But yeah, the game of runs, I don't... I can acknowledge that the whistle would have been frustrating as a Celtics fan or as a Boston Celtics as Celtic as at certain points last night. But I thought for a team that's been in the playoffs as long as they have and has have gone through this many series and are at this point, they didn't show a lot of composure when the whistle didn't go their way. I thought Tatum, Brown, and... Marcus Smart all lost the plot a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of decision-making, and Al Horford was just bad, which sucks because he's had such a nice playoff run. Yeah. Uh, Smart, what did he do? Pick up a technical, and then Jordan Poole was able to draw that offensive foul. Yeah. Well, Smart had that one flop where he just flew off the screen against Clay. Yeah, there was some <laughs> there was some flopping, and we'll call it counter-flopping. Yeah, a little gamesmanship. Sure. Lots of turnovers, too. Tatum, Tatum, Brown, and Smart, I think, all had at least four turnovers each. Yeah. And they gave up 22 points, I want to say, off turnovers. They also missed the Celtics' 10 free throws. Just complaining to the refs nonstop. This is just... Ime Udoka must be so tired. Because I feel like the legend's been built of Ime being this tough guy, showing them film during the season of not running back because they're complaining to the refs. But like you said, you're in game five of the finals, tied 2-2. There's no way he's got to still be telling his guys that, but he probably is today. But and he is like we they went through this in game one where the big turnaround was allegedly his you know his big third quarter speech at at the end of the third quarter of basically like is this how you want to go out? <laughs> you see, I love that one because we only ever hear about it when the team makes yeah. that comeback. Yeah. What about when David Blatt challenged the Cavs like in the finals and it just didn't happen? Is this happen? how you want to go out? Or, or, yeah. or Dwayne Casey, all those elimination games for yeah. the Raptors. The Raptors are like, yes, this is how we want to go out. Yes, yes, please. Uh, we're used to it. We're comfortable <laughs> with it. We've got vacation plans. Yeah, yeah. But that was game one, right? That was like the big storyline coming mm-hmm. out. He challenged the guys, right? Yeah. It's... uh. I don't know. It's it's a tough one. As someone who has thought for a couple rounds now, Boston was going to win the whole thing. To see them, like you're too far in. You're too far in, first of all, as a core. Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, those guys are not. Al Horford's like my age. It, you are no longer in the kind of innocent climb. You're already on your second coach with this core. Mm-hmm. You've had a, a handful of years and a handful of playoff runs to go through it with these guys. It's not Tatum's first playoffs in the number one guy role. It's not... Marcus Smart's first playoff guarding a top opposition. And to see, and, and you're, you know, 20, 25 games into your playoff run here, you shouldn't be shaken by a couple minutes of officiating that you didn't think went your way. 
they're not the first team to ever do that, but I definitely thought that this was, you know, as far as these things go, their fourth quarter collapse was far more mental than it was something system-wise isn't working or, or, you know, Golden State getting super hot or anything. Like, Golden State finished the night 9 of 40 on threes. You take that you, if you are going to pencil in any wins against the Golden State Warriors in a series, it's Steph had 16 and they shot 22% as a team from three. Yeah, and they had a, what, 31 to 15 advantage at the free throw line? Yeah. So, yeah, Jason Tatum, five for 21 in the fourth quarter in this series. I think he's shooting around 30% from two-point range. I mean, look at the box score. He had 27 points last night, but Mm -hmm. it was an underwhelming game from him. Yeah, and 27 points, not all 27-point nights are are created equally, right? And we saw a lot of Jason Tatum's growth in this playoffs come in the playmaking realm. Four assists to four turnovers is not going to cut it right like it's unfortunately the bar is this high now that you're the number one guy on a team in the playoffs 27 points is nice but four assists to four turnovers and those 27 points taking 27 possessions to get to it's not it's not uh you know that's not a game you expect to to win if you're boston when you see just the tatum side of it uh let alone the jalen brown very very rough night outside of getting to the line oh yeah five of 18 i think yeah, and five turnovers. Yeah. Very up and down from the two guys. And you mentioned Marcus Smart, too. Damn, yeah. it's taking us 13 minutes. We haven't even mentioned Andrew Wiggins. Well, because we're talking negative about the Celtics, which I feel like my experience with any Willu-associated <laughs> property is that you got to go through the Celtics' negatives before you get to anyone's positives. Dang, man. I know there's maybe a couple more games left in this series, but I'm putting Jason Tatum in that Paul George tier, man. I've oh. been saying. I've been saying. I don't want to speak too early. The Celtics, Celtics scare me, man. Like you look at the way they, you mentioned the way they collapsed in the fourth quarter, but then you look at the way they played in the third. Like being a Celtics fan must be just like infuriating. These teams are pretty closely matched is yeah. the the big takeaway there, right? Yeah, and I, I, that's fair. I honestly, I think Boston's better than them, but that Boston's doesn't, a better team. that doesn't I, I matter say, yeah. once you get down three, two, and yeah. now you got to win at home and then win back in, in San Francisco and you Celtics know, could do it. You know, it takes a certain level of team to close out a championship on the road <laughs> against Golden State. It's you don't see Damn. it every year. Damn. All right. Yeah, no, I, I think um I'm loving this Boston talk. But yes, Andrew Wiggins. He's I'll, terrific. I'll play Jason Tatum. Twenty six points, thirteen rebounds. Listen, I'm hearing some chatter about Wiggins for finals MVP. No. We gotta chill on that, okay? Let's not we, do we, that. We're not taking another finals MVP away from Steph. Look, wait, please don't not do only this. is it taking it away from Steph, but you'll also then have hung Wiggins with, okay, he he has it hanging around his neck that he's the number one pick. You have that to live up to. Yep. Then it's hanging around his neck that he gets a um, max contract. Yep. You keep putting all these kind of heavy weights on him, all these albatross on him. You, you want to put finals MVP over Steph? <laughs> in Steph's fourth championship on him as well. Like you you would keep keep putting these weights on him that are not fair to him. It has nothing to like he didn't decide to be the number one pick. He didn't decide to offer himself a max contract. He wouldn't be I, I feel like every time he starts to round a corner and like really come into his own, <laughs> there's just gonna be like an extra thing. It's like, oh by the way, you're the finals MVP now and and the Steph Hive will hold it against you. Like there are like now it gets retcon that actually Igudala wasn't that good in 2015. It wasn't that great a series. Uh, Igudala should hand that MVP trophy back. Steph is winning Finals MVP if they win this series, and maybe even if they don't. Yeah, don't 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 get too crazy with this Andrew Wiggins yeah. Finals MVP. Thing. We'll use the rest. Of, don't work yourself into a shoot. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Steph had an off shooting night. He was still incredibly important. Wiggins can be cool and a really fun story, and we're all really happy for him without overstepping here. Well, you know, this proves that the K-pop army is never wrong either because they got Wiggins into It's true, the starting All-Star in the game. All-Star game. Don't, don't mess with the K-pop army. Okay, what about if Wiggins goes 55-5 and five in game six? Okay, just hear me out. Steph, another 0 for 9. Nine points. <laughs> You're Hubie Brown or whoever the yeah. voter. What, knew what, ballot, good, and, what ballot are you submitting? Okay. If, if Wiggins, <laughs> if Curry no-shows a closeout game. And the game-winning three from Wiggins. 50, a 50, 50 ball and the game winner to clinch the finals. A 50 piece, the game winner, <laughs> then and, and Steph no-shows. Then Wiggins? You can give it to Wiggins. Okay. I will say, though, the, <laughs> the, five, the five rebounds part of that is too low. He's the best rebounder in the series That's now. That's fair. That's fair. I just I just think it would be so hilarious if Steph gets robbed of another finals MVP if they win. It can't happen. <laughs> By the way, I love the idea too that like one of the things I've been watching in this series, both tactically and narratively, is neither of these teams plays a guy who's bigger than 6'10. So if you're the Raptors and you've got Vision 6'9 and you're going through all this, you're seeing that, you know, it is possible to scale. You just need to hit a lot of things right. And then a six foot seven guy is leading the series in rebounding every game now. I'm just, if the Raptors are just sitting there more and more emboldened, it's probably sending OGN and OB tape of Wiggins <laughs> crashing the glass. Be like, oh, you want more roll? Well, Wiggins got 13 rebounds and then he got to take 23 shots. Yeah. Draymond Green, eight points, eight rebounds, six assists. So Magic Johnson tweeted before game five that he thought Draymond was going to have a triple double. And I saw this from, I think, Matt Moore. Uh, HP basketball on Twitter, it was like plus 2,300 uh, mm-hmm. at the sports books for Draymond to, to have a triple-double, and a lot of people were betting on it last night. See, this is where a triple-double is one thing, but Draymond had a line that's even more impressive. It's the old Andre Kirilenko 5x5. Five five. He had five points, five rebounds, five assists, five fouls, five stars rating on his podcast oh. on iTunes. You know, what's the, well, you know what's the betting that they should have? Do you have the box score up from, yeah, uh, from the game? How many minutes did Draymond Green play? 35. Yeah. Are you sh- saying over under the length of <laughs> versus, his podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so I, I got this pulled up. His game five recap was 26 minutes. Game four, 21. Game three, 29. So he could do some kind of spread, like a minus five and a half yeah. minutes versus the pod. Yeah. His lowest minutes in the series have been 33, even with the foul trouble. Yeah. He's so, fouled out of three games, but it's still averaged 35 minutes. Yeah. So this would be the level of like just degenerate yeah. gambling. Or degenerate content consumer. Like if you're that into Draymond's podcast, you're like, no, if they lose game six, he's only going to do a 21-minute podcast because he's got to get back to the film. No, you know you know, what's a good parlay? It's a Draymond podcast a number of minutes plus number of Steph threes versus Draymond minutes. Ooh, there you go. Right? So some nights you might have a 26-minute pod from Draymond plus seven threes from Steph, 33 versus his minutes. Yeah. So no, would have been a big a, upset last night. You would have been sitting there. No, Steph's this, got zero threes no. and you're just, <laughs> or, or you're like, you, you try to, you try to affect the bet by like sending in questions for Draymond's <laughs> podcast. It's like, Hey man, can you do a mailbag episode? I need, I need this to run four more minutes. Draymond's got to start having guests on and stuff. Just bring Maybe like it's a, an off season. Bring idea. Bring Chris Chioza or something. What's Chris, what's Chris Chioza doing after? Bring Jam on. Yeah. He'd be a great podcast guest. Or Marcus Smart. Sure. So what do you think the, Celtics have to do. I always feel like coming off a loss, it's always like clean up your mistakes and play better. 
really though, it's a lot of get out of your own way. Like you didn't, you played well enough in the possessions where you actually hung onto the ball to win that game. And 18 turnovers is going to kill you against any team, but especially against the Warriors, you let them get out and run. You let them kind of do their semi-transition attack where they try to collapse you in transition and then all the shooters trail. Um, although trying that on a two-on-one with Clay and Steph last night was maybe a little <laughs> too aggressive. Uh, you need more than one guy up uh, before you spread out for threes on a on a fast break. Um, but no, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, the health of Robert Williams is obviously a factor. I thought he was good again in his 30 minutes last night. They look way better when he's out there and he's that rim protecting presence for the, for them. I still don't really understand why it takes Kerr a while to go back to Looney a lot of the time. I know he had foul trouble last night, so it's maybe not the best example, um, but he hasn't played as many minutes as you would think, as many minutes as the team's performance when he's on would think. So that, that would be the Golden State counter I'm looking for is they could better optimize. Like, Belitza played five minutes last night. It was a minus nine. Damn. And I, was, I, know I, was pushing, I was pushing that Belitza agenda yesterday. Some man. of that was garbage time or whatever, but like yeah. Igudala played four minutes and was a minus four. That's, uh, it's not great. I think Belitza before the garbage time was still a minus three. Yeah. It's just like when those, those minutes, those guys are below the threshold of who can play in this series. I think Golden State has to, you know, keep it to eight and the mm -hmm. three bench guys being Looney, Peyton, and Poole. I would personally be starting... Looney over Porter. I, I just think that Boston can get too big of an advantage on the offensive glass if things are clicking. Um, but yeah, for Boston, it's a lot of clean stuff up. Yeah, they need more from their bench too. Derek White's been struggling. Mm -hmm. Grant Williams, pretty much a non-factor in this series. Yeah, that's tough. So, and I don't, I don't know. Golden State has their switching has gotten sharper and sharper mm -hmm. as the series has gone on. And I think Boston's kind of running out of guesses to throw at it. Like you saw last night, some of their best plays of the game were, were that stretch where Marcus Smart was posting up every time down. And it's not like he had, it's not like he's a post threat really, or he had a big disadvantage. It's just, you got to try something when switching, you know, you can run a million pick and rolls. If they're switching it effectively, you're not getting anything. So let's try post up and have a, a cutter sneak up behind Draymond when Draymond tries to, to zone you up or whatever. They got to get a little more creative with that stuff, I think, attacking the the switches. But, I mean, I hate being this reductive, but you can't have 18 turnovers and you can't have Jalen Brown play that poorly offensively. Yeah, there's two versions of the Celtics. Yeah, it's there's two, two versions. The difficulty level is all the way up. It's game. It's an elimination game in the NBA Finals. You, you can't have a five-minute stretch where you completely fall apart and go on tilt. You know what going on tilt is. You, <laughs> they they got a couple bad whistles there, and then they missed a couple shots, yeah. and then they were just like driving and losing the ball. Yeah, possessions in a row. They're acting like they lost a full house to to a full house with a flush on the river when they probably just lost like you know, top pair versus mid pair, and they let Draymond get in their head too. There was that one play when Tatum wouldn't give up the ball. Yeah, after the whistle. And then Draymond and Gary Payne the second just followed them all the way to the bench. That's uh, <laughs> this is the beauty of Draymond. That line that he's constantly <laughs> tiptoeing on, and there have been a couple times in this series where he's on the wrong side of it. And then last night, it's like, oh yeah, that's why he does it. Because sometimes you can, a team is starting to get rattled, and then they just lose their mind at you. How is Draymond always the main character? I've been trying to figure this out in a series where Steph has been amazing. 
we've talked about like these, you know, guys like Tatum and Brown, you know, carving out their own narrative, but it's always just about Draymond. It's amazing. A, it's a lot of oxygen that <laughs> guy takes up. No, it's, it's, I admire it a lot. Because yeah. if you look at the last 10 finals and then forget about picking finals MVP, if you pick main character, I think you would pick LeBron for probably like eight or nine of them, right? Yeah. Like he was always the main character. Yeah. He's even the main character when Igudala wins finals MVP because the story is, yes. well, look at everything it took to slightly slow LeBron down. Yes. Or even when uh, Katie and the Warriors swept them, like it was LeBron with the J.R. Smith incident yeah. and then punching the wall, breaking his hand. So you would go LeBron, 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 you know, Kawhi's in there for the Raptors season. Yeah. The main character this year, you would say Draymond. Probably. You I would, would say, say Draymond. even the KD years, like you could argue that <laughs> those are also maybe Draymond. Draymond wasn't the main character, but he was like somehow the antagonist <laughs> on his own teams. Like if KD's the main character for those ones and is the protagonist, somehow the antagonist is on his own team. Oh, man. No, it's uh, it's remarkable. All right, Blake, I appreciate you dropping by. So you got a. I have a question gotta, for you before up? I go. Sorry, what's are you up? playing in that charity game? No, so night? so unfortunately, I'm gonna be away. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I booked a trip, but but you heard Will's doing play by play, right? I didn't hear. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about it with Clement in in, in the second segment. Awesome. Yeah, Looking we gotta get Will to prepped for that. All right, this is a good spot for us to take a break. I'm your host Alex Wong. Thanks again to Blake Murphy, and you're listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm your host, Alex Wong. So this past Saturday, I had a chance to drop by Thornley Secondary School in Thornhill as CCYA, the Canadian Chinese Youth Athletic Association, announced a partnership with Jeremy Lin on the Jeremy Lin Basketball School, a core curriculum and training module, which is going to be introduced at schools in Markham, Scarborough, North York, and Toronto later this year. Jeremy was in attendance in the morning. He ran a basketball clinic with the kids at the gym and then had a presser after, talk a little bit more about why he wanted to partner with CCYA on this curriculum. And I had a chance to ask him a couple extra questions after as well. So we'll play some clips here. Um, so to start, um, starting with the presser, you know, Jeremy talked about how the curriculum is designed to have both on and off court elements. It's for kids ages three to 16. And here's Jeremy talking about why he wanted to launch this new basketball program in Toronto. I think for me, I'm passionate about players becoming better at basketball, but I'm also probably even more passionate about, um, you know, Asian kids growing up with confidence, with self-esteem, being proud to be Asian, um, which was something that I wasn't growing up. And to be able to learn different values beyond just, you know, shooting, um, but just character development. How do you communicate? How do you be a part of a team? How do you lead? How do you serve? Um, a lot of these types of values are really important. So for me, it just seemed like everything kind of came together. It made a lot of sense. Um, so that's why I'm super excited to be here. Um, and, and that's why I want to make the trip. Yeah, and it was interesting for Jeremy to talk about, you know, wanting Asian kids growing up to, to have more confidence and, and honestly to just get into sports. Because I think for a lot of you know, Asian listeners out there, you know, I think about my experience here too, growing up, 
you know, with immigrant parents, like sports just isn't something that's very encouraged. Um, and, and it's not something that, you know, you're pushed towards, you know, we joke a lot about Asian parents, you know, pushing their kids towards extracurriculars, whether it's, you know, playing piano or, you know, different things, but, you know, they, they don't see sports as something that, that can become financially beneficial down the line. And I mean, that's a bigger conversation about just the lack of representation of, you know, having Asians, you know, at, at high school basketball, college, and obviously at the pro level. Uh, so later on in the presser, Jeremy talked a little bit about the support of his parents growing up and, and how important that was. I said that because my parents got a lot of criticism in letting me and my brothers play. Um, and I understand it, you know, and, you know, that as, as immigrants, you know, sometimes <laughs> basketball, extracurriculars, uh, I completely understand the philosophy behind it, but I think... Um, again, it, it was never something that was guaranteed. I really believe, like, if my parents didn't take that step, which, again, was a, took a lot of criticism from a lot of people around them, including even some family members trying to dissuade us from playing basketball, um, if, if that never happened, I would never even have gotten close to playing in high school, college, and so on and so forth. So um, to see just uh, maybe a, a change in thinking or perspective uh, from, you know, as time goes on, I just think that's something worth talking about, celebrating, and, and being grateful for. Now, Jeremy also was really excited to be back in Toronto. I got a fact check. I believe this might have been his first time back in Toronto since he was with the Raptors in 2019. Uh, he played for the Beijing Ducks in China this past season, and he's not ruling out a return to the NBA. But the last time he did play in the league, was with the Raptors when they picked him up mid-season during that 2019 championship run. Um, at the presser, I asked Jeremy just for his recollections about his brief run here in Toronto, and here's what he said. Toronto, uh, during the time I was here, it was, well, one, it's just so diverse. People are so kind. Um, it's, it's, it really felt more like a community than a lot of the other cities that I had lived in. Um, and, and then on top of that, you have adding the Raptors, the run, the, you know, the championship and everything. But uh, it was just something that to me, it kind of, I felt like a draw to the city um, when I was here. And, and I feel like the way that I was embraced, I mean, and, and I'm not afraid to talk about it, like during the playoff run, just not playing, not being in the rotation, not actually contributing on the court to the team. Um, but even with all of that, I feel like just being here and being a part of the team um, and, and representing for Asians was something that uh, was really appreciated in the community. And so, um, again, you know, you know, I, I wasn't the example of what it looks like to be the best player on the best team, but I just felt like sometimes that's how it is. And, and if we can all play our different roles, um, I think that's that's important. And, and same with this, you know, me coming back, it's just I want to do that. I thought it was interesting that unprompted Jeremy talked about, you know, something that he talked about very openly after winning the championship here in Toronto about wrestling with the fact that he wasn't an on-court contributor during the championship run. And, and it was something that I think really bothered him at the time when, when he won the championship and he's described it as a somewhat bittersweet experience for him. Um, so after the presser, I asked, I asked Jeremy, you know, this being the three-year anniversary of the Raptors winning the championship, you know, during these three years, whether he's reconciled those feelings now, and here's what he had to say. That's a great question. I mean, I feel like, I feel like when it first happened, there was... Uh, this like 
tension of like, well, you didn't contribute on the court. I think as more time passes, I get more and more comfortable with like, no, you deserve this. Like you worked for it. And I think like now that I'm more removed and it's like, there isn't even, there is no like hundred percent Asian American, like in the NBA right now, like there are a hundred percent, you know, um, and I, I don't know if that's, I think that's correct. There's no hundred percent fully hundred percent Asian American. And, and, and then just to be able to be the first to win a championship, like these types of things mean more now that I've been able to take a couple steps back and just say, you know, and also to understand, like, look, I put a lot into my career. I put a lot into that team. And, um, even just being able to push the guys that were on the court or to be able to communicate in ways that would transfer over to how they were playing um i think these things are all more valuable it's just maybe a little bit harder to accept right at that moment another thing that jeremy i think has gained perspective over the years is with his 2012 run with the new york knicks um during the linsanity era damn it's been 20 years i was 27 back then and you know jeremy was actually flying out from toronto straight to new york for the tribeca film festival over the weekend uh, where they were debuting a new documentary film, 38 of the Garden, which chronicled that run. And that's another part of Jeremy's career where he's talked a lot about being resentful uh, because, you know, a lot of people did prop him up and a lot of people wanted to be in his orbit. And, and then when, you know, the, the stardom faded away a little bit, um, you know, those same people just weren't around anymore. Um, you know, he's been very open uh, about the Linsanity experience. I also asked him about finding appreciation about that period of time. And here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it just came over time, right? Like, when, you've, when you're in the middle of it, it's just like, there's so much stuff that you had to deal with that you didn't sign up for. And I think I had to go through that phase of bitterness and resentment. And also just growing up in my evolution of really understanding how the world works, you know, like understanding microaggressions and, and the way that, you know, Asians have been treated for centuries in North America and understanding just how hard it really is, you know. And, and I think for me, it was like I wanted to go to the NBA. I went through the draft. I went undrafted. But I ended up making it right away through summer league, right? But then I try to come back. You know, not only that, but then I have, like, nine years in, and then, like, you know, and then because I go to the Raptors and I have 12 games where I don't play well, like, I've never touched the NBA court since, right? And so realizing that, going to the NBA G League and actually not being able to get in, like, all these things to me, it was, like, it gave me new perspectives of, like, hey, this is how quick they are to count you out. Or, hey, even when you show them in the G League, like, it still doesn't mean that you automatically deserve, you know. And these are all part of the experiences that a lot of minorities are experiencing in their own spheres. And so for me, it made me realize, like, oh, I, I, it, it, was, it wasn't even like, you know, before it was like, I'm trying to run from it. And then midway through, it was like, I guess I should talk about it to now it's like no i want to talk about it like i have to talk about it um and, and so that's the embracing that you're talking about yeah. i also pointed out to jeremy that i mean he was 23 years old at the time when when linsanity happened and you know not to sound always like the old guy on this show but you know i was telling him like you know you grow a lot in your 20s and you find out a lot about yourself and here's what he had to say too about that 
I was just tired of being the token Asian for my whole life. And I was tired of people kind of discounting or disregarding like being a master of my craft because everything just turned into he's Asian, he's Asian, and that's all we're going to talk about. And do I regret it? Yeah, I talk about it very openly. I, I regret not championing that more, not embracing it more. But I do I also understand why I acted that way. I do understand why. Because for so long, it was just like, you know, the, yeah, like what I said, just the token Asian and we're going to interview you and only just basically take like clickbait type stuff to talk about your Asian-ness and, and that's it. And, and everything else that you said, we disregarded and it felt very dehumanizing in ways. And so when Linsanity came around, I just wanted to be known as a great basketball player and I couldn't, I wasn't ready or prepared to handle the rest. Yeah. And lastly, before you took off, you know, we also talked really quickly about the CCYA celebrity classic that I've been talking about on this show that's taking place on July 9th. Jeremy's going to be back here in Toronto, uh, Simu Lu. And if you follow the CCYA uh, social pages, especially on Instagram, you know, they've, they've been putting out uh, announcements and profiles of, of the other celebrities um, that are going to be there at the University of Toronto. And, and one of the many celebs who's scheduled to be in attendance is comedian Ronnie Chen. Ronnie recently put out a Netflix comedy special, which uh, starred Jeremy at the basketball court. Uh, I asked Jeremy if Ronnie could score a single point off him if they played up to 21. No, I could play with Ronnie with my left hand up to 21. He want to score a point. Um, this guy's too busy doing jujitsu or whatever, rolling around, rolling around and doing doing jujitsu stuff. So, uh, but no, we're no. In all seriousness, we're excited to have him have him come out. Um, and he's you know coming quite a ways. I mean, it's, it's going to be like a 10, 11, 12 hour flight for him or whatever um, from Hawaii. So um, there's a lot of dedication on his part. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this too. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town, not going to be here to watch or be part of this celebrity classic. I'm actually going to get a lot of FOMO uh, on this, but joining me on the line now is CCYA co-founder, and a returning guest, Clement Chu, to talk a little bit more about it and details on how to get tickets on the event. Clement, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So I know I know the CCY Celebrity Classic, the tickets went on sale today, so we'd love for you to tell everybody uh, how to get their hands on those. So actually, they're going on sale tomorrow. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I got my Tuesdays and Wednesdays mixed up. This is what happens when I work more than two days a week. Yeah, no worries. And and obviously, you know, the biggest draw for the whole event is uh, Will Lou calling play-by-play uh, at the event. So look, looking forward to that for sure. But uh, we, the, the, the tickets will go live tomorrow at 12 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can go to our website, which is uh, ccyaa.org and slash celeb classic. And, uh, you know, all the information will be there. Or if you follow us on Instagram, which is... Uh, at CCYAA underscore will provide, you know, all the information you need to be able to grab the tickets. And, and this has been very much a, a, a project of passion for all the volunteers running it. This is a completely voluntary uh, managed project. So just really, you know, really amazed by all the people behind the scenes working on this. And yeah, I even have to consider Simu as a volunteer because he's one of the guys who was, on the line with Ronnie at one in the morning, convincing him to get on that red eye to come out from Hawaii. So I think everyone from top to bottom has really been working hard on this. So we're excited to bring it to Toronto. Yeah. Clement, I know you're a former 
Toronto basketball local legend, um, you know, in these streets. Are, are you playing in this tournament too? Are you playing in this classic? Hell, hell no. Really? No. Like, I mean, I mean, there's going to be some challenged basketball players as part of this, but I, I definitely don't want any, any part of this for sure. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm happy uh, to kind of see some of the, the individuals that will be coming through, as we mentioned, Ronnie. Uh, Hassan Minhaj is scheduled to come. He has played in the NBA celebrity game before, so I think he has some experience. Um, Adrian Ho, um, you know, Adidas ambassador and model, she's coming out. Probably one of her first times playing basketball seriously in quite a long time, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Tesher, you know, the, the performance artist, he's going to be uh, out there. Olivia Liang, who's the star of CW uh, show Kung Fu on CTV, she's going to be out here. The Fung Bros, who happened to be in town this past weekend, partying uh they're going to come back and uh they're going to play uh dave fung told me he swore that he wouldn't be drunk you know playing in the game from too much partying the night before uh so he wants to show out his uh last time they played Simo in the team they lost uh so i think he's out for a little bit of revenge yeah i love that but but like you mentioned the uh the marquee that you guys got to promote with is uh it's going to feature play-by-play by will Liu, right yeah, no, we're, we're really excited. And, and I think the plan is we want to try and mic up some of the players so that he can have some back and forth. Uh, it, it really is a shame that you're not there because I know that you know, you know, Ronnie from your days in New York and, and, and you know, have some familiarity with uh, Jeremy and stuff. So I, I feel like Will will have to sort of build that rapport with them uh, in order to kind of uh, talk that smack. But, you know, we're excited to have him out. Yeah, no, no. Ronnie, Ronnie makes people very comfortable, like five minutes within within you meeting him. And I think this, honestly, this is a great opportunity for Will, uh, I think, to, to you know, get get into the CCYA uh, cinematic universe. Because, like, even just, you know, going to, you know, Thornley on Saturday and, you know, dropping by and, and seeing the clinic that Jeremy was running and, and all of that stuff. Like you mentioned, you know, I, I'm always just, I always marvel, you know, I was talking to Carly, um, you know, who, who, who works with you. Um, afterwards, you know, I always do marvel at just, you know, the, the number of people that do come out and volunteer and, and give up, you know, their precious time to, to really help, you know, with your association and with all these initiatives. And I think it's so great, you know, the community that you've built, um, you know, with regards to this Jeremy Lin uh, basketball school, you know, I talked a little bit about it earlier in the segment. Uh, what else should people know about this? Yeah, so we're, we're getting ready uh, to provide the information to all the parents. So that will be ready in a few weeks. And uh, if they want, again, they can go to ccyaa.org and drop us their email, and we'll give them notifications. But uh, it will launch in the fall, uh, but we're going to start registration for the summer. And, yeah, it will be in a, a number of locations across the GTA. Uh, and, and it's just really what I want to articulate. It's not just Jeremy that's involved, but mm-hmm. it's the whole – Jeremy Lin ecosystem. So the cool thing is that uh, Josh Fan, who I think is probably one of the only, if not the only, real NBA skills trainers that's actually of Asian heritage, uh, he basically followed Jeremy around, around for you know his whole career, you know, helping to develop him, and he's going to help us with uh, you know elite athlete development. Uh, Patricia Sun, who uh, heads up all of Jeremy's business adventures, basically she's going to help do career talks. Uh, with young people who want to get into sports marketing. So it's really leveraging everything that is sort of around Jeremy, not just uh, Jeremy himself. And obviously he's going to look to participate whenever he can, whether it be virtually or physically, but just super excited to have that entire team 
involved in the ecosystem. And another gentleman who dropped by uh, earlier in the day was um, Purdue Center, Zach Eady. And we were excited to see him you know, come to the fold. A lot of people uh, aren't aware that he's actually half Chinese. And he's a seven foot three, seven foot four NBA draft prospect who, who sort of is, is the next line of Canadian talent uh, that's going to be going to the pros. And uh, we want to engage people like him to come back in the community as well and talk to kids because I think it's just exciting to have someone from your own community that kind of really makes a mark and, and makes it far. And, I, and we're, we were excited that he came out to join us as well. Yeah, and, and I, loved, I, I love that that's just the partnership that, you know, CCY and yourself have had with, with Jeremy over the years. And, you know, we, we did play some clips earlier. You know, I asked him about, you know, not being an encore contributor during that 2019 championship run with the Raptors and also reconciling all his feelings about insanity. I'm wondering in, in the time you've had to like spend with him, like have, have you had a chance to have those conversations with him or what are your personal thoughts about, you know, how he's kind of gained all this perspective over the years? Yeah, I think much like a lot of us, um, you know, as you age, you definitely gain perspective and you can definitely see that his, his, his viewpoint on uh, of what himself and kind of the world around him has, has evolved. And, and I think he's at the stage now where uh, he's, he's definitely finding joy in playing basketball and he's looking for those opportunities to, to play, but also uh, really leverage his platform. Um, and, and you can see he actually has a Jeremy Lin Academy in Asia where they have like thousands and thousands of students playing basketball overseas. But this is sort of his first foray in uh, North America to kind of set up a program like he is with us. And we're excited to get him involved with that. And, I mean, for as long as I've been around him, I think the one common theme is I could say he's always been very exhausted because ever since we really started talking to him during Linsanity, he's just he's just been pulled in like all these different directions. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the time that he was able to give us, but he just always seemed very drained. But this, this visit to Toronto, it just seemed like he had sort of this reinvigorated kind of outlook on life and, and was just kind of enjoying and, and, and living it. And it's excited to see, it's exciting to see that he's kind of reached this point. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like, you know, he's just, he dealt with a level of attention and stardom that like, you know, I don't even know when, like when you think of athletes, you probably only count on one hand and, and it was just so different, especially, you know, from the Asian perspective as well. Where did you guys go for sushi, man? I saw you guys um, go for some nice sushi after the, the, uh, the yeah, literally had to get him out of here to fly down to New York. So we went, we were staying at the Marriott in uh, Markham mm. and we walked across the street to the sushi joint on the second floor of downtown Markham. And I can tell you the amount of double takes we got <laughs> walking up the escalator. Cause we're in the middle of like Chinese Markham. That's like right. the place, like bubble tea, everything. And people are like, that makes no sense that he's in Markham. Why would he be here? But that guy really looks like him. And and he's wearing a Jalen backpack, and so that was sort of the dead giveaway. But um, it, it's still kind of funny to watch him, you know, walk through Toronto. Uh, and we were training in the morning, and you know, there's a bunch of people that caught wind, and all of a sudden you just started seeing all these Mercedes Benz and BMW pull up, and people taking videos outside the facility we we're training at. Uh, he he does still garner quite a bit of attention, and it's it's been neat actually to kind of pull it back to the Celebrity Classic. That him and Simu have had a lot of talk about what this experience of the rise in fame is about and kind of how to handle your life and 
embracing those around you and your team. And it's really been neat to see sort of that, that mentorship and friendship between those two, which is really kind of how the whole celebrity game got to come to be. Uh, and it was total fluke chance. Like uh, I remember the day they met, uh, we were, we were doing a sort of a one-on-one interview with, uh, it, with Jeremy when he was with the Atlanta Hawks at the risk health. And we asked Simu to come in and help facilitate that conversation. And Simu at that time was like, giddy as a schoolgirl. Like the minute Jeremy left the hotel room, he was like rolling around like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just met him. I can't believe I just talked to him. And it's just, it's so neat that once he got traded to the Raptors, they became BFF and, and kind of the rest is history. And just that partnership between the two of them to kind of always come back and help the community. is really neat to see. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So everybody go to the CCYA website tomorrow, ccya.org slash celeb classic tickets are going to go on sale at noon Eastern Clement. I always appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, we got to play ball soon and we got to organize another live event, CCYA and Alex and will, we got to do that sometime. For sure. For sure. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, listen, if you guys want more 2019 championship reminiscing tomorrow, Lee Ben Osman of the Toronto star will join me in studio and we're going to call up our draft expert, James Herbert. And we're pretty much going to spend the whole hour drafting our favorite moments from the 2019 Raptors championship season. That's what happens when it's daily radio, man. I'm reaching for content. That does it for us for today. I've been your host, Alex Wong. You've been listening to the Raptor show on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Make sure you find the Raptor show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Please rate and review our show. Tell your friends to subscribe and download so we can chart higher than the Draymond Green show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thank you to Blake Murphy, Jeremy Lynn, Clement Chu, my board producer, Derek Brandeo, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. I'll talk to you tomorrow.